Let's take our Bibles tonight, turn to the book of James, we'll continue on with our study, the book of James, we're on lesson 8 tonight, so we're nearly done, two more weeks after tonight, don't forget that uh, next Wednesday night we'll have prayer meeting as normal, the following Wednesday there'll be no prayer meeting because we'll have our revival services Sunday, Monday, Tuesday before that with uh, Brother Calvin Allen and the Faithman Quartet, so we're looking forward to that, and so be in prayer for that, invite some friends to come to that, and and, uh, you know, they may have a church or something, but they'd enjoy coming out on another night. And so uh, that would be a wonderful opportunity for them. Book of James tonight, we're in chapter 4. James chapter 4. We did through verses 12 last week. And so we're going to start in verse 13 and work our way uh, through chapter 5 and verse 6 as we find a little theme that develops there. And keep in mind always... The books and or the chapter and verse divisions were not there in the originals. Those were added years later so that we could find things very quickly uh, as we look through the Bible. But they were not there. So when we go from chapter 4, don't think necessarily the thought has completed. It's just a, a division that they've made. And so we will look at the thought as it continues in chapter 4 and 5 tonight. Now, does everybody have a handout that would like one? If not, just raise your hand. We'll make sure you get one. Again, we are going to uh, print out the handouts. If you missed a week or missed two weeks or whatever, uh, when we're done or maybe in the next couple of weeks, we'll print out all the lessons with the answers already filled in. So you can take those home if you'd like and have a, a full set of notes on the book of James. All right? James chapter 4. And look, if you will, at verse 13. We'll read to the end of the chapter as it's our first thought tonight. Go to now, ye that say, today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life that is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away? For that ye ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. But now ye rejoice in your boastings, all such rejoicing is evil. Therefore to him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Let's pray. Father, help us, Lord, and understand your word tonight. I need your help, and I ask that you fill me with thy Holy Spirit, and may the Spirit of God teach each one of us from your holy word. Thank you for inspiring uh, James, the pastor of the Church of Jerusalem, that he would give us this book on growth and maturity. Help us to do just that, to grow and to mature. And Father, we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let me give you a bit of an, uh, a recap of where we are so far. So far, James has spent much time outlining the dangers and the damages of sin. And in specific, he's talking about the local assembly that he pastors. He has seen firsthand what it can do to a church. James also knows what the perfect example is because he grew up in the same house as Jesus Christ. And so he sees the extremes of perfect, holy, righteous behavior, and he also knows what sinful and damaging behavior can cause in the church. And so he begins to talk about wisdom first and foremost, and he says that we need to have a walk with God and turn to God for wisdom and pray for wisdom, but also we find wisdom in the Word of God. As a result of these battles that we face on a daily basis, we desperately need that wisdom from God. And so as we uh, considered our lessons, we looked first of all at the believer and his battles. And the second week, we looked at the believers and his Bible, the believer and his Bible. And so from there, James reminded us that life's about relationships, not only with God, but also with the brethren. And keep in mind, he's a pastor. He's concerned about the spiritual health of his church. And so we went from there to uh, the believer and the brethren. 
And so the Bible is also the source of our beliefs. And so from there, James taught us about uh, the Bible, or the, the, the believer and his beliefs. And it's our determining factor when it comes to our behavior. And so it just begin to, continues to develop into tonight. We're going to look at this behavior as it's summed up. And it's the Christian and or the believer and his boastings. The believer and his boastings. Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes, Vanity, vanity, all is vanity. And that's exactly what James is trying to impress upon our hearts with this passage of Scripture. That everything that we sin, our, our sinful selves, is always a result of pride. And, and you say, well, I don't necessarily feel prideful when I sin, but think about it in this way. It's saying, my way is better than God's way. Well, that's pride, isn't it? To disobey God's plan, to disobey God's word, to step out of God's will, any of those things is saying, my way, my thoughts, my ideas, my plans are better than God's. And so it comes down to pride. And so James begins to talk about boasting. And so we see in our notes tonight, if you have your notes, the Christian and his boastings. And letter A is boasting about our plans. Boasting about our plans. And you'll see that covers verses 13 through 17. Now look at verse 13 and we see the proposal. Number one is the proposal. Go to now ye that say today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. I don't know if James was using a, 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 an instance that happened in his local church or not, but he was using something here as an illustration or a proposal that everybody can identify with. And when he says, go to now, it's much like saying, come now. Come now. Ye that think you can go into a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. So he's talking about those that have their life planned out. Well, sometimes we plan bigger things than just a year, don't we? He's talking here about just a small plan of taking a year and going into a, a city and, and starting a business and making some money for that year, a great game. But sometimes we have to plan a four-year college education, or we plan on a 25-year mortgage, or we plan on a 40-year career. And the question that James will propose to us tonight is, are we including God in those plans? And that's what he's getting to in this passage tonight. He says, go to now you that say, today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. We must be careful not to plan outside of what God has planned for us. Now, look if you will in Luke chapter 2. Keep your finger in James chapter 4 and look in Luke chapter 2 tonight. Or sorry, Luke chapter 12. And we'll see an example of this kind of planning that James is talking about in this paragraph. Luke chapter 12, look at verse 16 with me. And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. You understand tonight it is... It is not wrong or immoral to have things. 
When I say that, I, I understand that everybody in this room is rich. Spiritually, if you have Christ Jesus, you've rich. You have riches in heaven. But honestly, compared to 90% of the world, we are very well off. The poorest person in our, in our congregation, people that maybe struggle to put food on the table, are far better off in some places I've been in this earth. And so we are thankful to God for that. But what, what we understand about this gentleman here is that he is hoarding his riches to himself. All this fruit came in off of his ground, and rather than helping those around him or using it for the glory of God or even seeking God's wisdom of what should I do, he hoards it to himself and sits upon it. And it had no use for him, for God required his life that night. Turn, if you will, to Deuteronomy chapter 8. Deuteronomy chapter 8. We're just illustrating the proposal that James gives us in the book of James. But look at Deuteronomy chapter 8. Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 11. Beware that thou forget not the Lord thy God in not keeping his commandments and his judgments and his statutes, which I command thee this day. Now underline that in your Bible if you're in the habit of doing so. Beware that thou forget not the Lord thy God. Verse 11 or 12. Lest when thou hast eaten and art full and hast built goodly houses and dwelt therein, And when thy herds and thy flocks multiply, and thy silver and thy gold is multiplied, and all that thou hast is multiplied, then thine heart be lifted up, and thou forget the Lord thy God, which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. And look down to verse 17. And thou say in thine heart, my power and the might of mine hand hath gotten me this wealth, but thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth." that he may establish his covenant which he swore unto thy fathers as it is this day. We are reminded here, we ought not boast of our own abilities, for it is God that has given us all things. And he has given us the ability to have wealth and blessed us with so many things. So James chapter 4, look back there, we see first of all the proposal. He says there's this problem that is existent, but let's see uh, now the problem described in verse 14. Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow. He says, here's the problem with that thinking. You don't know what tomorrow brings. You can store up your riches and you can do whatever it is to to prepare for your future, but you don't know about tomorrow. Now, I try to be careful like anybody else. I have a life insurance policy, and uh, because of family history, frankly, I went out years ago and got a good policy to make sure if something happened to me young that my wife and children would be taken care of for the rest of their lives and make sure at least they get a college education and my wife is taken care of. And, and, but let's be honest. I, I, maybe you wouldn't under, appreciate this, but a life insurance policy means absolutely nothing to me. It's so that my wife's next husband can live in the lap of luxury. That's really what it's all about. And I hope that's not the case. I I mean, but I want her and the children to be taken care of. But we invest so much, and we ought to be careful, I think, and we ought to provide and take care. But years ago, we had a financial advisor come in. He was a Christian man. 
He came into our church and he uh, did a Wednesday night thing for us and he taught people about their investments and he was helping our seniors with their RIFs and, and going for our uh, SVPs to RISP and all the rest. And, and so uh, uh, he was advising and all that and he said, you know, he says, time is, is the most important thing. And he said, I started investing when I was uh, first out of college and I first got my first job in financial advisement. He says, I started investing right then at 25 years old. And he says, when I retire at 65 years old, he says, I will have 33 $8 million. And so when he was all finished and he, he went home, Pastor Masker got up and said, well, he says, maybe if you had $33 million, you should be doing more for the Lord. He was hoarding his money. I'm not against having enough money for his family, for his retirement, making sure he's taken care of, but $33 million is a lot of money. And so there has to be a balance struck there. And so the problem is, is we're not guaranteed of tomorrow. I remember years ago when Mrs. Harris, uh, Virginia Harris, had her car accident. They were missionaries at the time on deputation, and they were moving to Canada, and they had their moving truck, and uh, something happened with the truck, and they got hit. Uh, They had pulled over, and they got hit on the side of the road, and while they were out looking at the damage, another truck came by and ran her over. And through, I mean, she flatlined three different times, and different things were going on, and she, of course, lost her leg and an amputation, and uh, just didn't know. And, and she'd always uh, said to her husband, I would love one day to go on a cruise. And he said, all right, maybe for our 25th wedding anniversary, we can go on a cruise. They'd only been married four or five years at the time. And so as they were, she was laying in that bed, and she had flatlined again, and they got her back, and, and he leaned over to her, and he says, honey... As soon as you get out of this hospital, I'm taking you on the cruise. He realized we're not guaranteed of tomorrow. We can't always plan for 25 years or 50 years from now. And so let's do our best to be pleasing to the Lord today and make our plans for now uh, within the will of God. And so we see, first of all, with this problem, we have a hidden future. We have a hidden future. We don't, we don't understand uh, what tomorrow may bring. Whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanish away. A preacher friend of mine told me this. He was in New York City and he went down uh, to the waterfront and he wanted to see the Statue of Liberty. And while he was down there and walking around a little bit, there was a woman out there that had a little stand. And she was dressed in goofy colored garments, multicolored garments, just to draw attention to herself. And she had this little stand, and as he walked by, he, he didn't even know it, didn't say what she did. He says, well, well what are you doing here today? And he, he was hoping to give her a track and talk to her a little bit. And she says, well, I'm here to tell your future. She says, if a silver would cross my palm, I will tell you what tomorrow will bring. And he said, well, he says, you mean... If I, if I put some money in your hand that tomorrow you could tell me exactly what I'll be doing at this time tomorrow? She says, oh, absolutely. I'll tell you. He says, I'll tell you what. He says, I will double the money if you can tell me what I was doing at this time yesterday. He says, the deal was off. She realized that he had been found her out. And if she couldn't even tell what happened yesterday, there's no way she's going to tell the future. We don't have a guarantee of the future. There's a pastor uh, in Moscow, Idaho. It's spelled Moscow, but they don't call it Moscow. They call it Moscow. They don't like the Russian sound, so they call it Moscow, Idaho. Years ago, we were passing through, and I was preaching there for the day. This pastor had come to this church because his doctor said to him, you have about six months to live. Your heart is in congestive heart failure. He says, you've got leaky valves. He says, You'll be lucky to get to six months. Get your affairs in order. 
So he moved to Moscow, Idaho because he had a son that went to a good Bible preaching church there and became a member of that church so that his wife would be with his children when he passed. Well, the pastor actually took sick and died just shortly after that. Something came up very quickly, cancer or something, in just a matter of weeks he was gone. And this, this gentleman had preached for years in prison ministries and they said, would you preach once in a while? He says, well, I guess I can fill in. When we had gone to visit, it had been seven years and he was still preaching every Sunday. They had called him to be the pastor. I was talking to uh, my friend Larry Stogsville and I asked, what about brother? And he said, yeah, he's still pastoring. He's been there 13 years now. And his wife said this. She says, isn't it interesting how God put him here and it tells me he's not through with him yet. You see, God's will promises us to tomorrow. I thought that was always interesting. God's will promises us a tomorrow because he's got a plan for us. Had he considered his own plans, maybe he'd be gone by now. But God had a plan for his future. So we see, first of all, our hidden future, but also look at our human frailty. Look at the second part of that verse. Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. I saw an interesting sermon, if you will, I guess it was, a small devotion upon this word vapor one time. Vapor is just H2O, it's just water in a different form. And water, when it's in its natural form, it is drawn to the earth. Gravity holds it in puddles and in pools and in lakes. But when it's in its vapor form, it's drawn to the sun and taken upwards. And the Bible says our life is but a vapor. We are drawn to the sun and we are taken upwards. And that ought to be our life. We ought to be looking forward to what Christ has for us, but it also is something that is very short and dissipates very quickly. And so the biggest factor that prohibits our planning in our own will is our human frailty. I heard just this week of an 18-year-old that was killed in a car accident and a 31-year-old that had a brain aneurysm and died suddenly after he sang a special in his church Sunday night. It's amazing to think how short our life is. Dr. Sisk, I had asked him, as you know, to preach our missions conference this year, and because of his wife's health, he had to cancel. But when I asked him last year when I was, I was out preaching chapel, and, and uh, I had lunch with him, and I asked him if he'd be interested in preaching our missions conference. He says, when is it? I said, it's next February. He says, oh, Brother Fury, I don't even buy green bananas anymore. But he had a good grasp, didn't he? Life's so short. I don't know what I'll be doing in eight months from now, let alone three days from now. And so we take that and understand we need to have that kind of outlook on life. I need to put my life in God's hands because I can't boast of tomorrow. I have no idea what it might be. So God and the Bible are the only true and accurate sources of knowing our future and what plans there are for us. How many of you have ever heard of a man by the name of Edgar C. Wisnant? Anybody ever heard that name before? Maybe you've heard of his book back in the 1980s, 88 Reasons Why the Lord Will Come in 88. Does anybody remember that title? See it come across? He was a, an aeronautical engineer that worked for NASA, and he was convinced that the Lord Jesus Christ would return to earth on September the 22nd, 1988. And his book outlined 88 Reasons Why. He was a little bit nervous about his prediction, so he said, 
Anywhere between the 21st and the 23rd. But the Lord is absolutely coming. A pastor called him on his bluff and he called him. He said, are you absolutely sure the Lord is coming on September 22nd? He said, yes, I'm, I'm absolutely positive of it. The only reason I went from the 21st to the 23rd is because uh, all around the world we're in different time zones and the Jewish calendar is different. I just wanted to make sure I covered the broad spectrum of the day. He says, okay. He says, so you're absolutely convinced? He said, yes. He said, well, let me do this then. He says, let me send you a check right now for $5,000. He says, oh, that's very generous of you. He says, yes. He says, what I would like to do is, is I'll send you a check for $5,000 with a signed agreement that your house will become mine on September 24th. And I'll take possession. He says, I'd like to offer you $1,000 for your car as well. He says, since you're leaving this earth on September 22nd or 23rd, he says, you might as well have $6,000 to enjoy, but sign it all over to me, and since you're gone, I will have your house on September 24th. And the story says that the man hung up the phone. Apparently, he didn't believe as much in his prophecy as he thought he did. You see, the Bible is our only source of tomorrow. And the old song says, I don't know about tomorrow, but I know he holds tomorrow, and he holds my hand. And so we must put our faith and trust in him. Look at verse 15, the proposition. The proposition. James brings us to the other side of the coin. We should not boastfully proclaim, but we should rather humbly depend on the Lord. For that ye ought to say. Here's how we ought to look at tomorrow. If the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. James kind of talks like us, doesn't he? Well, this or that or the other thing. He said, but if the Lord will, then we will, we will follow and this is what we will do. Throughout the Bible, we see examples of men who acted without seeking God's wisdom first. We, we think of Moses who smote the rock rather than spoke to it. We think of Joshua who listened to his spies and followed their advice only to send a few to fight against Ai and Israel was defeated. We see Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, offering strange fire, and they died. Saul kept the king of the Amalekites alive and lost God's anointing. But we also see the other side of the coin. We see Jesus Christ, who every step of the way trusted his father. And if I just give you a few verses from the book of Luke, Luke 3.21 tells us Jesus was praying when he was baptized. Luke chapter 5 tells us he retreated in the desert to pray before facing a group of Pharisees and doctors of law from every region. After healing a crippled man, Luke chapter 6 tells us that he invoked the wrath of the Pharisees, so he retreated to a mountain to pray. He went and prayed after feeding the 5,000. He prayed on the Mount of Transfiguration. He was praying again when the disciples asked him to teach them to pray. He prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. He prayed on the cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. You see, Jesus understood, if the Lord will, I can make a plan and I will follow through. Then verse 16 gives us a prohibition. Prohibition. But now ye rejoice in your boastings. Can you imagine that? It's, it's one thing to boast about something. And to, uh, I'm not, when I say boasting, it doesn't mean necessarily they're getting up and bragging about their plans. It is prideful in boasting just to make plans outside the will of God. But now they're rejoicing in it. They're saying, oh, I've got the wherewithal that I can plan my own life. I can set my own course and my future is in my own hands. And they're rejoicing over that freedom from God. But the Bible says all such rejoicing is evil. When I say that, I'm reminded of the Apostle Peter who said, 
but I'll never deny you, Lord. He rejoiced in his boastings, and we know how that turned out. Proverbs chapter 27, Solomon writes, Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. Look at verse 17, we see the principle. The principle. We're talking about boasting about our plans and the principle. Therefore to him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is sin. How many of you can quote that verse? A lot of us know that verse off by heart, don't we? We just quote it any time. To him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Did you know that the context was with stepping out of God's will and making plans for yourself? In other words, you know you ought to pray. And you know you ought to seek God's will on this. And you all know you ought to ask for wisdom. And when we don't do it, it is sin. To him that knoweth do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. So the prohibition and the principle. The parable of the Good Samaritan illustrates this very well, doesn't it? You remember the first guy that passed by? It was the priest. The priest knoweth what he should have been doing, but he passed by. The next was a Levite, a scholar of the law, one that knew the Bible inside and out, and he knew what compassion was supposed to be shown, but he passed by. It was only the Samaritan that showed the very compassion of Christ. You see, to him that knoweth to do good, but doeth not, those first two had sinned in the eyes of God. Let's look at letter B now and go to chapter 5. Just look down a little bit. We see some more boasting. Now we're not just boasting about our plans, but we're boasting about our prosperity. Boasting about our prosperity. Keep in mind the chapter divisions don't exist in the Bible. They're there for our assistance. And so this is just a continuation of the same thought. Go to now. Remember how verse 13 started? Go to now. Now it's go to now. Come now, ye rich men. Weep and howl. For your miseries that shall come upon you. Your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver is cankered and the rest of them shall be a witness against you and shall eat your flesh as it were fire. Ye have heaped treasure together for the last days. Behold, the hire of the laborers who have reaped down your fields, which is of you kept back by fraud, crieth and the cries of them which have reaped are entered into the ears of the Lord of Sabbath. Ye have lived in pleasure on the earth and have been wanton. Ye have nursed your hearts as in a day of slaughter. Ye have condemned and killed the just, and he doth not resist you. Boasting about our prosperity. Notice, first of all, number one, the rich man's woes described. The rich man's woes described. We may often bemoan our problems and consider that if what it might be like if we had everything we wanted. But the Bible says, you know what, rich folks, they have problems too. Uh, there's thieves that are after their money. There's people that wish to take advantage of them. We were heartbroken the other day when we heard that a friend of ours that, that is a, a senior citizen has been taken for $125,000. That's money to take care of their needs in their old age. And it was heartbreaking to hear that. And so having money is not always, and the Bible says the love of money, not money, but the love of it is the root of all evil. And the Bible here talks about uh, boasting in our prosperity. It starts out the same as verse 13 when it talks about boasting about our planning. And so look at these rich man's woes described. First of all, letter A, we have a prophetic declaration. A prophetic declaration in verse 1. He says, For your miseries that shall come upon you. Your miseries that shall come upon you. Now, it, it is nice when God blesses us 
was something we did not expect. And it is nice when somebody works hard. I, I enjoy seeing a success story. I enjoy seeing somebody that, that has worked hard and, and earned what they've got and God has blessed them and they have done their best to be a blessing to others as God has blessed them. That's, that's a wonderful thing. I, I'm very pleased by that. But at the same time, we understand that the passage of the scripture, as we unfold it, you will see it's more about the love of money and boasting in our prosperity. And the danger of that is that your miseries that shall come upon you. You say, why is that? Because those that boast about their money, they really very, very seldomly have faith. You say, why? Because they trust in what they have. I don't need to pray anything in. I've got everything I need. I don't know what it's like to pray for a loaf of bread or pray for milk for my kids because I can just go to the store and buy anything I need. And they begin to trust in their riches to take care of their needs. The Bible says it's easier for a, uh, a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to go to heaven. Why? Because of their misplaced faith and what they are trusting in. And so the detailed vision, or for, sorry, for, first of all, the prophetic declaration, verse 1 is a warning against the love of riches. Again, there's nothing wrong with, with God blessing and people working hard, but it's the love, the love of money, which is the root of all evil. Being reminded that this is a, a, a thought about boasting, consider this as well as we look at the prophetic details in verse 2. Look what it says. Your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten. So number one, the depreciated value of their wealth. It's interesting that if I trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says specifically... He is preparing a place for me. We are to lay up our treasures above where rust doth not corrupt and moth doth not eat. Isn't it interesting how that parallels this passage that when we trust in our riches, rust doth corrupt and the moth doth eat. And so there is that parallel that is drawn. Anything you trust in in this earth is going to be gone in 100 years. Those things that you take pride on in this earth. Listen, we are to lay our treasures above. We are to store up treasures in heaven. And we are to seek first the kingdom of God. And his righteousness, and the Bible says, all these things shall be added unto you. So we see the depreciated value of the wealth. It's going to be corrupted, and your garments are going to be moth-eaten. Verse 3, your gold and silver is cankered, and the rust of them shall be a witness against you. We see not only the depreciated value of their wealth, we see the damning voice of their wealth. The context here is the pursuit of riches. That's all we're concerned about is money on top of money and seeking after the wealth of this world. And and we ought to be very careful because the Bible says it's a witness against you. One day you'll stand before God and God will say, but I thought you had everything you needed. And now you want into heaven, but you never trusted Jesus Christ. You thought you had it all. Matthew chapter 5 says this, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And as, as we think about those verses in the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5, it's, it's just the opposite of the world's philosophy, isn't it? The, Bible says, the world says that we ought to, uh, it's a dog-eat-dog world, and the rich should get richer, and we ought to fight our way to the top. The Bible says, Blessed are the meek. For they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the poor in the spirit, for uh, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So the philosophy is damning against their wealth. And then we see the detailed vision of their wealth in verse 3 as well. 
It says, there shall be a witness against you and shall eat your flesh as it were fire. Ye have heaped treasure together for the last days. Behold, the hire of the laborers who have reaped down your fields, which is of you kept back by fraud, crieth, and the cries of them which have reaped are entered into the ears of the Lord of the Sabbath. So now we're getting some more details about this rich man. Again, I, I want to be clear, and I, I say this because I believe everyone in this room is rich. I think God has blessed us in a lot of ways, and I've been to Africa, and I have seen several countries over there where they would, they would be pleased to have a, a piece of bread, and they'd be pleased. We, we went one day to a, a lady, was, we were walking along, and a lady was cooking corn on the side of the road, and that was her, basically her kitchen. Out inside of a little, nothing bigger than an ice hut or your garden shed. That's what their family lived in. And then she cooked outside and had a fire and she was cooking corn. And we had to be careful what we ate because of, you know, hepatitis and all the different things you can catch. And, and Jim Arnold was with me and he said, no, this will be fine because she's boiling it. The water's boiled and the corn will be okay. And so we, we went up and we said, how much is a cob of corn? And we more, more than anything wanted to help her. And she says, uh, five cents. That's all it was for a cob of corn. Can you imagine how many cobs of corn she'd have to sell in a day to make any money at all? And some of that would be her cost. And so she was cooking that corn, and Jim pulled out a dollar, and he gave it to her, and she says, I don't have change. She didn't have anything, enough money to break a dollar. He says, no, I don't want any change. That's, that's for you. And so he took his cob of corn, and you understand the, the salary there is about $1.25 a day for somebody working in a business. For this lady at the side of the road, it would probably be just a quarter or 50 cents. And so he took that corn and we each had a piece. And, and then we all looked at those children looking at us. They were hungry. And they couldn't have that corn because she's trying to sell it. So we said, well, we'll have another piece of corn. So we all bought, we pulled out, each of us pulled out a dollar. And we said, we'll take a piece of corn. I, I have no change. She says, we said, no problem. The dollar's fine. And we took that corn and gave it to those children. And then we learned, well, that's fun. Those kids, man, they're your buddies then. And so every time we'd go into a town, we'd, they had these little stands. And somebody would have a little jar about that size. And it'd be full of candy. And they're selling that, trying to make money. Their kids can't have that. And so I'd say, how much of the candy? And she'd say, oh, those are a penny a piece or a nickel a piece. And we'd buy the whole jar. And then we'd go to the kids and we'd just tell them, boy, they'd love you then. And we could hand out tracks after that. You could, do, you could preach all day if you give those kids candy. I'm telling you, folks, we're rich. We have much. But here's the real problem with this, this type of rich man it's talking about. Look what it says. You have heaped treasure together for the last days. This is a reference to the judgment time that's coming. He says, you've not been a faithful steward, in other words. You're, you're, you're putting your money away and you're, you're heaping it. And by the way, it's ill-gotten gains. Look what it says in the next verse. Behold the hire of the laborers who have reaped down your fields. Those that have worked for you, those that have been in your fields, which is of you kept back by fraud. Saying that money that you've got in your bank is because all these people worked for you and you kept back their pay. You didn't take care of them properly. You could have paid them more. They, they could have been fed and they could have taken care of their family, but you chose not to. So it's ill-gotten gains. It's, it's fraudulent pay. 
So we see that they've saved this money as to the day of reckoning. Uh, We are to be faithful stewards of what God has given us. If God has trusted you with something, we are to be a blessing to others with it and to be a help to the furtherance of the gospel. That's why God has trusted us. And then we see the details of the reckoning, their fraud that is described. The love of money has led them to defraud those that were serving them. But then we see their fraud discerned. Their fraud discerned. Look what it says in the second part of verse 4. And the cries of them which have reaped, so those that were in the field, are entered into the ears of the Lord of Sabbath. This is the only time in the New Testament that the Greek word for Jehovah is used, the Lord of Sabbath. It's the only time. It's incredible to think that he's saying, listen, this is almighty Jehovah. James didn't want those Jerusalem believers to miss who he was talking about. So he used the name of God that had seldom been used in uh, the Old Testament, and now in the New Testament, the only time it's ever used. And so God discerns their cries, and God knows their needs, and God will take care of them if they will trust in him. And then we see finally tonight, the last two verses, verses 5 and 6, the rich man's wickedness disclosed. I'm going to says in verse 5, Ye have lived in pleasure on the earth and been wanton. Ye have nourished your hearts as in a day of slaughter. And ye have condemned and killed the just, and he doth not resist you. So first of all, we see their pleasure. Their desire for pleasure has overtaken their desire to do right. It has left them feeling unfulfilled. It says very plainly, ye have lived in pleasure on the earth and have been wanton. You always want more. There's something missing in your life. How often do we hear that some of the richest people in the world are the ones that are the saddest and take their own life? I remember when Brother Bruce Fry was here, and you'll remember his gospel track. And on the front of that gospel track, he's got the long hair, and he's singing with his guitar, and he's singing with Hank Williams Jr. Hank Williams Jr. is a country music star. His father was a country music star. And uh, his father is the one that wrote the song, I Saw the Light, the Christian song. But he died an alcoholic at 29 years old. Incredible. And here's his son drinking all the time and, and uh, in bars every night and partying like you wouldn't believe. And, and uh, Brother Fry says he is the saddest man I've ever met. He says he's got millions of dollars. He says, I was in his home. I've seen his mansion. He says, I sang on stage with him. And he says, I, I sat and, and he, says, he says, after I got saved, I, I, I ran into him in some place. He says, and he says, he came over and he talked to me. He says, man, you look different, Bruce. And he says, that night he wept uncontrollably. He says, this guy had any woman he wanted. He had anything. He, he could go purchase any car he wanted. Big homes and places all over the world. But he says he was miserable. It reminds me of this verse, he was wanton. There was nothing that could fill that emptiness but Jesus Christ. Then we see, secondly, their plunder. Look at verse 5 in the second part. You have nourished your hearts as in a day of slaughter. This is in reference to one that goes hunting. And boy, when they get home, they can't wait to get that, that meat cut up and put on the grill. And they're just gonna they're gonna have a, a good time. I remember a few years ago, uh, my wife and kids and I we went fishing, and for us to catch anything is a rarity. Fishing is the only thing in the world that you can call by that name and not actually do anything about. It. I I mean, you can say, well, I'm playing baseball. You actually have to be playing baseball. I can go fishing and never catch a fish and still call it fishing. It doesn't make sense to me, but that's just the way it is. 
And to be honest with you, I don't care if I catch anything. That may sound weird, but I really just like sitting by the water with a pole in my hand, and, and I'm just pleased as punch to have an hour to myself like that. But that night, we were hitting. And we caught, there were six of us out fishing, my four kids and my wife and I, and we caught 27 bass. I mean, we nearly limited out. I mean, we were allowed a 36, I think, and we got 20, and they were nice. We threw a bunch back that were small, but we had nice ones. And I, it had been so long since I caught a fish, I called Ray Vogel and I said, Ray, I said, I, I don't know, uh, I, I can't remember if I remember how to clean these things. It's been a long time. I said, would you help me clean them? He says, I'll, I'll do more than that. I'll help you eat them. I said, sounds good. And he didn't say that. I said, tell you what. I said, I got these 27 bass. Why don't I bring them over? We'll clean them and we'll cook them right tonight. I mean, we couldn't wait to get into them things. So our kids and the Vogel kids, we had a fish feast right there that night. We went to town and got some salads and we just ate bass and salads all night. It was good. I think there was a peach pie or something that found its way to the table too. It was good stuff. I, I, I remember years ago when we, we get paychecks and we go get groceries and I remember wanting to sample everything that came in the house because we hadn't had that in a while. You know, that's, that's what he's talking about here. He's like, he says, you've just, you're just feasting. You can't wait to get your hands on more riches. And you're just feasting on it like a man in slaughter. It has fed your appetites and your, your lust is all about money. It's those things you've gained while running over others. That's been your only nourishment. And it's not been a help to you. And then we see in verse 6 the power their pleasure, their plunder, and their power. Verse 6. Ye have condemned and killed the just, and he doth not resist you. So the behavior becomes increasingly poor, doesn't it? Now they're actually killing just people. They're climbing over the backs of others. And its abuses seemingly unprevented. And its abuses are seemingly unpunished. The Bible says right there at the end, and he doth not resist you. Now, there's a purpose in James' wording there. How many of you have ever felt like that? You see wicked people in the world and you wonder, why are they prospering so much? How come they've got just every, I mean, here I am trying to, I, I go to church faithfully, I, I pray, I read my Bible and I tithe and I'm still behind, I'm still struggling and I, I still have a hard time putting clothes on my kids' backs and getting them through school and college. And why, why does the wicked do so well? Well, look at verse 7, and we'll, we'll pick up this next week, but look what it says. Be patient, therefore. Brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and hath long patience for it until he received the early and the latter. He says there's something better coming. Be patient. The day of reckoning is coming, and they're going to get theirs. They're trusting in the world, and they're trusting in riches, and they're heaping to themselves these things, and they're climbing over the backs of others, and they're killing people even. You have condemned and killed the just. He says, but that behavior will stop. You be patient, because something better is coming. God is coming, and we'll look at that next week. No doubt this is how many in the feel in the world today, but God has promised that he will deliver if we're just patient and wait on him. Wait on the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Help us to understand it and apply it to our hearts tonight, we pray. Be with us during our prayer time, Lord. Hear our cries. We'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.